Welcome to another episode of Investing Compass. Before we begin, a quick note that the information contained in this podcast is general in nature. It does not take into consideration your personal situation, circumstances, or needs. Well, today, Shani, we're going to take a little bit of a different approach with the podcast, and this is something that will continue periodically through 2023. New year, new podcast, Mark. Exactly, exactly. So we're going to speak to some of our colleagues at Morningstar to hear their perspectives. For these episodes, we'll start with the two of us walking through a concept and then hear from someone at Morningstar that can provide another viewpoint. So the episode will be these two parts, but of course, we will cover the same topic. And we have a great one to start with, which is Jodie Fitzgerald, who is the head of institutional portfolio management in our investment management group, Morningstar Investment Management. And today we're exploring one of the most popular topics we have at Morningstar, and that is income. You know, people love income investing, Shani. You love income investing. I I do. I do. And Jody is going to provide a different perspective on income investing, why investors should consider if it's the right choice for them. And this is a different perspective than we've provided on Investing Compass before. And I think this is an example of something that really confuses a lot of investors. Oftentimes, you hear different viewpoints from investing professionals and individual investors. They advocate for a certain way of investing, and they advocate for it passionately and eloquently. And as an investor, you look at these two opposing opinions that are both convincingly articulated, and you just don't know what to do. So people second-guess themselves, which either leads to doing nothing or to switching back and forth between different approaches as you get convinced one way or the other. And that switching generally leads to worse outcomes than just sticking with one approach. And this is why we always say on this podcast that there are many ways to invest, but only one way that's right for you, for your circumstances and goals, and for your temperament and philosophical outlook. And when professional investors like fund managers are advocating for something, it's important to remember that many of them have no idea what the goals and personal circumstances are of the investors in a fund or ETF. And many of them passionately advocate for an approach because not only is that the way they invest, but their professional reputation and career prospects are tied up in one way of investing. And when individual investors are arguing passionately for a certain way of investing, they're likely doing it because it worked for them. So when you hear those arguments, just remember that what might have worked for them won't necessarily work for you. It might not work because you have different goals and objectives, and it might not work for you because it was a strategy that was successful at a different time and the world has changed. And the place we see this so much is with housing. And this is older generations who bought a house prior to the property boom and benefited immensely from that run-up in prices are just adamant that property is the only way to wealth. And it worked for them. But they did this when housing prices were significantly cheaper and the experience they've had won't necessarily translate to today. We just can't stop Mark from talking about housing. But today we're going to talk about income investing. And as we've said before, there is an allure to income investing. Getting those dividend payments into your account is fantastic. It's like free money you're earning from doing nothing, and that's why it's called passive income. And the allure of income investing, which admittedly I've fallen under, is that no matter what happens with the volatility in the market, you are getting something tangible when that dividend hits your account. So let's talk about this for a second. Is it a good way of thinking about things that even though your portfolio goes down, you are still getting dividends? So what do you think, Shani? Well, there are two sides to this. As investors, we should be focused on total return. The combination between income received and capital gains, which occurs as the share price goes up. That is the way you build wealth over the long term. And Jody will talk about this. 
She will. But one thing we always talk about is how volatility or prices going up and down oftentimes will make investors do something stupid. So the emotions of watching your account go up over and over and over again causes greed, which means investors take on too much risk by going all in when the market is peaking. And then, of course, the opposite happens when your account goes down a lot. You sell to avoid future losses, which are actually impossible to predict. And anytime you talk about investing, you need to consider the emotional aspect of watching your account bounce around in value. And I know that's one of the reasons you like dividends. Yeah, because investing theory doesn't take emotions into account. It assumes that we will all behave rationally, but we don't. And this works in every other aspect of our lives, too. So there's a reason, Shani, that chocolate and candy is always by the checkout in food stores. If we were rational, it wouldn't matter. We would make a rational decision that we wanted a Cadbury bar, and we would simply find it wherever it was in the store. But in reality, this isn't the case. It's an impulse purchase. And that's why it's positioned right at the end of your shop. So I look at dividends in the same way. So if you're an income investor and focus on dividends, and that limits the impact volatility has on your emotions, that is a good thing. And that is what I think I've been able to do. When you're investing new money and looking at dividend yield, you start to see that when share prices go down, dividend yields go up. And you can see that you get more income out of each dollar you invest. And that teaches you to buy low. And that is a good thing. One thing that is important to consider about income investing is how much dividends contribute to overall returns. There's a recent article in First Links that talked about the importance of dividends. Over the last 20 years, 51% of the ASX 300 return came from dividends. And the same article talked about the volatility of income versus capital gains over the past 20 years on the ASX 300. So how much the price of a share jumped around versus how much the dividend jumped around, which can happen because, of course, dividends can get cut and raised. Over the 20 years, the standard deviation of price return is 14%, and the standard deviation of dividend returns is 0.1%. And standard deviation is simply a measure of the dispersion of individual instances with the overall average. So what that means is that the higher the standard deviation, the more the year-to-year readings on something bounce around the average. And this makes sense. When you're investing in the share market, you're buying a company. Over the long term, we believe that the financial performance of that company will influence how the share price does. But over the short term, all sorts of things impact the share price. Market sentiment, economic news, and just plain old irrational behavior by investors. But dividends are decided by the board of the company, and they're reflective of the actual financial performance of the company. Companies steadily making more money, the board might raise the dividend. Companies performing badly, the board might cut the dividend. They have all the facts and management reporting everything to them. And the general public doesn't know a lot of this and, frankly, ignores a lot of it. And we know that share prices bouncing around so much in the short term is really not reflective of the underlying performance of the business which is generally pretty steady. Especially for larger and more stable companies, the exact companies that pay dividends. Which in my case is the type of companies I like to invest in. And I guess that's just another reason I like dividends. One last reason why people like income has to do with one of the biggest issues with retirement, and that is picking a withdrawal rate that prevents you from running out of money. Understandably, a lot of retirees are very worried about running out of money. So the concept of living off of income is appealing because you aren't spending down your principal. And once again, this is something that resonates with me, and I do think has some positive emotional impacts. Spending all your time worrying about running out of money is a difficult way of going through life. The caveat is that you likely need a lot to be invested in order to generate enough income to support your life. 
And that is unrealistic for most people. So like everything in life, moderation is the key here. Income investing can have some real benefits, but people can also go overboard. And I think that's the best way of introducing the interview portion of the podcast where Mark talked to Jodie. So we hope you enjoy our first interview on Investing Compass. We're going to talk a little bit about income today, specifically around retirement. So our first guest is Jody Fitzgerald. So Jody Fitzgerald works at Morningstar in our investment management group. And Jody, your title is Head of Institutional Portfolio Management and Solutions, which a lot of people might be confused what that means and what you do to a day-to-day on a day-to-day basis. So maybe if you'd like to talk a little bit about that, that'd be great. Yeah, sure. Well, thank you for allowing me to be your first guest. Very, I feel very privileged. Uh, look, it's a very, very long way of saying I'm a portfolio manager, <laughs> effectively. Um, so we manage money on behalf of, you know, whether it be institutions, individuals, or advisors. And I run a team that manages portfolios that are either a bit bigger or a little bit more complex in nature. Okay, great. And so on a day-to-day basis, what does that involve? Is it just a lot of research, talking with the team? Yeah, loads of research. Uh, so obviously, we we are a multi-asset manager. So having an understanding of what's happening in each asset class, how we should be positioning the portfolios to meet their overall objectives, and making decisions on what assets to move into and out of on, on a daily basis. Not that we trade daily, uh, but looking at the portfolios daily to understand how they're performing. Are they on track to meet their objectives? Okay, great. And where this episode, the idea for this episode came from is, you know, a lot of your job is obviously around asset allocation, as you were saying. Yep. And you spoke at our conference back in October and you were talking about asset allocation in retirement. And I think you made some interesting points. We put a video up on our website that was very popular and it was talking about income in retirement. And many retirees and many investors in general, as you know, are drawn to income. And you were making the point that, you know, maybe in retirement that that focus isn't appropriate and it should be more about cash flow that you're using to fund your goals and, or I guess your day-to-day lives once you, uh, once you get into retirement. So yeah, maybe if you want to talk a little bit about that point you were making about why cash flow maybe is a better approach than just income. Yeah, because the reality is when you use certain terms and phrases, it can introduce bias into the way people make decisions. And that's really at the heart of, um, you know, sort of my belief or view that stop talking about income and start talking about cash flow. Because realistically in a t- retirement, what you're trying to achieve is the day you retire, you've got a certain pool of assets and you may have other sources of income being a, a you know, government pension, et cetera. What you need to solve for is between now and we'll call it time T, which is a euphemism for death, <laughs> right? Um, how do I make sure I can fund the lifestyle that I want? So how do I draw down on that pool of assets to pay for the things that I want to do, whether it be as simple as you know paying the electricity bill, buying groceries, or having those holidays that you want, or supporting the grandchildren, or actually leaving a bequest? So If you think about it from that perspective, really what you're trying to do is manage the way that you draw down on those assets from a cash flow perspective. By thinking about it as income, then what you're technically going to do is it's going to lead to biases about what part of those assets you can spend and can't spend. And it leads retirees to effectively focus on only selling down any dividends or interest that is actually earned from those assets. 
And the reality is that will likely, given you know most people are underfunded, will likely lead to a very substandard retirement. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the problems, I think mentally, it's hard for people to make that leap. So you spend your whole life saving yep. and this is your nest egg and yep. don't touch it. And then, of course, as you said, you've got this problem going into retirement. You don't know how long it's going to last because yep. you don't know when you're going to die. You're worried about market volatility. You're worried about running out of money. And I think many people think, okay, if I don't touch the principal, then I'll never run out of money. Yeah. But as you said, that can lead to a really substandard retirement because you're not spending it and eventually yeah. you will die with you die all this rich. money left. Yeah. Great for your kids if you like your kids, but um, not so great for you if you've had to not do the things that you wanted to because you've worked really hard to accumulate those assets to retire on. So effectively by only spending you know, the income component, people are trying to self-insure. They're trying to self-insure against the unknown. And, you know, I completely understand that because, again, this comes into behavioral biases of, you know, that risk and that concern that, well, what if I run out? Um, and that's where we would say that, uh, you know, having access to a good advisor to help you with those decisions is really important because it is a very, very different decision-making process when you're drawing down on a pool of assets than when you're actually trying to build your wealth. Morningstar Investor is built for investors by investors. It provides independent research and data on over 40,000 securities, tools to build and maintain an investment portfolio, and investor education resources to support you, regardless of where you are in your investing journey. Explore opportunities with our monthly global best ideas. Explore our ETF model portfolios. Plan better with two years of dividend forecasts for ASX-listed stocks. Stay informed with independent thought leadership. We've built tools to help you construct, monitor, and maintain your portfolio, including our Portfolio Manager, integrated with one of Australia's leading portfolio tracking tools, ShareSight. Morningstar has been empowering investor success for over 35 years. We're passionate about your outcomes and are here every step of the way as you achieve them. Take out a free four-week trial to access our resources. Find the details in the episode notes. We think about asset allocation. Do you do you find that that leads to bad behavior? Because you know a lot of people that we talk to, you know, have a huge home bias in Australia because of franking credits, and you know, frankly, Aussie shares pay higher dividends than a lot of other countries. Also, a bias towards certain sectors. So whether that's banking shares or sectors where you do get a lot of income, do you think that that has a big impact on the overall outcome that investors get? Yeah, it does, particularly if your focus is income, right? Because you're immediately going to say, well, I'm going to buy the assets that have the highest dividend or the highest interest rate attached, which thankfully at the moment, you know, interest rates, you know, <laughs> do exist now as opposed to, you know, not being able to actually earn any interest at all. Um, but by doing that, what you're effectively doing is all you're focused on is the income or the yield of whatever it happens to be. Let's call it 5% for argument's sake. And you're not taking into account that actually, well, what about the capital gains that you could get by buying the right assets? Remembering that in retirement, you are actually in a favorable tax environment and it actually does not matter if you draw down on the income or the capital. It doesn't matter. So if you need to you know, be concerned about funding retirement, which could be a 20, 30-year proposition, you want to make sure that you're actually growing the pool of assets to meet the requirements that you need. If you're simply narrowing the universe of what you'll invest in based on the income, you could actually miss a lot of return opportunity. The flip side of that is, though, 
it also means that you're probably not managing your risk well. So what I mean by that is let's just say that there's a bank stock out there, 5% dividend yield, that looks really attractive and you buy it. But what have you paid for that stock? Is that stock overvalued? So you might be getting a 5% dividend yield, but what happens if that stock falls by 20%? So there's, again, just the mindset of actually not thinking about the level of risk that you take on by buying or yield chasing effectively. And then also not really being sort of mindful of the fact that, you know, some of these things like dividends, they're not guaranteed. And I'll give you a fabulous example during COVID. If you had a look in the UK, the UK regulator stepped in and stopped banks from paying dividends. So if you had gone and bought a UK bank so you could get the dividend and you overpaid for that bank, so firstly, you're sitting there with a capital loss. Secondly, that income you thought you were going to get, you didn't. So it's about thinking more in what's the total return that I need and trying to achieve that total return with the least amount of risk. By only focusing on income, you may actually be taking on more risk than you realize. Okay. So if, as a retiree, if I get out of this mindset, then how should I think about asset allocation? Because once again, I think that's a challenge for a lot of people because, you know, obviously as you approach a goal in general, if the goal was some sort of lump sum payment, you would want to dial back the risk. But as you said, retirement, you're crossing the threshold, but it could be 30 more years of retirement. So how, how should you think about asset allocation? Yeah. So this is a really complex question. Not, well, the answer to it can be quite complex. And so if we take a step back, in the ideal world, retirees wouldn't have to take any risk whatsoever. In an ideal world, we all retire with exactly the right amount of money that we need until time T, <laughs> our euphemism for, for death. Um, and that you just have that sitting in cash. You've taken it because who wants risk in retirement if you don't have to have it? The reality is we know that most people are underfunded, either in terms of their savings pool or superannuation pool isn't big enough, or again, life expectancy is actually really long. So what you want to do from an asset allocation perspective, and this is why understanding the cash flow requirements is really important. So between now and then, how much do I want to spend on average per year? You know, and adjust that for inflation over time. And then understand, well, okay, I have a pool of assets of, you know, X today, but I need to grow it to Y. And have an understanding of, therefore, if that's a big gap, I'm going to have to take risk. Now, you're better off taking risk early because you've got the runway to actually cope with market fluctuations. Um, and then as soon as you're in a position where you can see that your, the pool of assets that you have is large enough to meet your expected spending, de-risk. But think of asset allocation also as a flexible concept, right? Because your goals and ambitions may change. So you may have mapped out, well, this is how much I want to spend every year. And then five, 10 years into retirement, something happens or you've like, you know what, I actually want to just live a little bit more, you know, luxuriously and have an extra holiday a year, et cetera. You can then readjust your spending goal. And then with that, go, okay, I now need to risk back up to grow my wealth. So I think those traditional concepts of go defensive, de-risk your portfolio straight up and then hold the same asset allocation is, um, you know, it's, it's not the right way to go about it. It will lead to sort of issues down the track. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us today as our first guest. Thank we you really for having appreciate me. it. And uh, yeah, we will, uh, we will include some of the links to 
the videos that we've done and a couple of the other pieces of content that you've put out in the show notes so people can go and check that out. Brilliant. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We would also love a rating on your podcast app or a comment. And of course, you can always email me. My email address is in the show notes. Any advice in this podcast is general advice or regulated financial advice under New Zealand law prepared by Morningstar Australasia Proprietary Limited and or Morningstar Research Limited without reference to your financial objectives, situations or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest. To obtain advice for your own situation, contact a financial advisor.